you know, when you walk into a fishbowl, yeah, it's fast food. You know, it just doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it because you do feel a sense of culture and music and you get all the, the, these other ingredients that you would typically associate with a restaurant. And we, you know, it was a big focus of us to try and bring that into fast food and try and change people's expectations around what to expect when they go out for a quick meal. Hello, Pocket Money peeps. I'm Mark Tirano, one of your regular hosts, with a solo episode while Sally is frolicking away on holidays. Today, we're serving up a tasty conversation all about the business of food. We've invited Nick Pestalozzi and Nathan Duller, the founders of Fishbowl, to the studio and grilled them, pun very much intended, about the ins and outs of running a very successful restaurant. We're going to be asking all the questions you probably have when you go to your favorite eatery, from the unique challenges that come with selling something as personal as food, to the basics of how food businesses price a dish, and even how new businesses like Uber Eats and Deliveroo impact a cafe or a restaurant. For those who don't know, Fishbowl is a chain of sashimi salad stores based in Sydney's CBD, East and Northern Beaches areas. It's quickly expanded from one store in Bondi in 2016 to 11 stores in 2019, with plans for more. You may not be opening up a restaurant, and let's face it, neither am I, but I really enjoyed this conversation and getting to know how food, money, and even building a brand come together. But before we get to the interview, if it's your first time listening to Pocket Money or if you've enjoyed the show so far, do us a favor and fang us a subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And if you really love us, share this episode with a friend who might enjoy it. Now let's jump into our conversation with Nick and Nathan. Okay, so we have Nick and Nathan from Fishbowl in the studio today. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Before we jump in, I uh, recently noticed on your Instagram that Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter and Square, stopped by for a meal and said it was the best meal in Sydney. Yeah, so basically Jack is obviously the founder of Square, which we use. That's our point of sale. So we were lucky enough to meet Jack in Melbourne. As a result, when he made his way to Sydney, he sort of mentioned that he would like to catch up. So he came down to our restaurant and he had a meal with us and thoroughly enjoyed it. And then a couple of days later, just before he flew out, he said he was going to come back. So he made his way back to Bondi. We checked out the sunset. He ate fish bowl again and thought it deserved a tweet, which was pretty nice of him. And then we, we actually had a few glasses of wine together and sent him off, which was nice. Nice. What's he like? Quite unassuming. I w- I definitely not what I would expect a CEO of two billion dollar companies to to be like he just seemed like a normal you know guy that we would hang out with on the weekend for our listeners who may not be familiar uh tell us the origin story of of fishbowl it started um about two and a half years ago the idea was conceived probably about a year prior to that um i was over in the states Uh, i had a girlfriend there at the time and i always loved food and grew up around food and i loved to cook i loved to eat and i also just loved to like whenever i traveled Um, trying new food was always like a focal point of my trips naturally when I was in the states I was exposed to I guess like a new wave of um, salad bar and most specifically uh, sweet green was I guess the salad bar that I saw coming up at that time and that I really liked and felt uh, resonated with personally just from a value standpoint from a product standpoint and I came back to Sydney and 
I spoke to Nick and I basically said, look, you know, there are these amazing new concepts that are coming up over there and it's less to do with their product, but more to do with what they're, what they stand for in their values. And I said, Hey, look, what, what can we do to sort of create a concept that would really sort of change the food landscape here? And we sort of decided that if we combine our love for Japanese food and specifically sushi, because we know that that's, they're simply, that's a product and their flavors that people love already, that people are already familiar with. And we just thought, why not combine the flavors from sushi and Japanese food with salads? Because we also, we both love health and we both think that that was the direction that food was moving into. And we, we sort of thought that was a good opportunity to launch Fishbowl. Now, running any business is obviously challenging, but a food business even more so. What are some of the challenges that you've encountered when running Fishbowl? I think the challenges we face is sort of typical of any startup and be a food business, right? Our sort of goal with Fishbowl is let's create a really beautiful product. Let's start with that. And a lot of, you know, research went into that, a lot of effort went into that, and a lot of care went into sort of into creating, you know, what is our core product, that being food. And then around that, let's give them layers. And so we thought, okay, if we're starting with food as our core product, let's give them design, let's give them music, let's give them personality, let's give them all these sort of elements that weren't typically associated with fast food. Let's associate them with fast food and let's give them something that's more than just a beautiful product but actually sort of speaks to people at large and speaks to people's aspirations and desires and just give people something that was different, but something that, you know, connected with them on a higher level than was, I guess, typical of a fast food establishment at the time. And I could definitely attest to that. I had my first fishbowl uh, probably a couple months ago in Surrey Hills, the OG. It was amazing. So fishbowl has a really strong brand and feel to it. My question is, where did that come from? We see the stores and the product as just an extension of our personalities. And, you know, when it comes to Nick, myself, and another, our other partner, Casper, we love food. We love fashion. We love design. We love music. Uh, we loved collaborating. We liked surfing, so we started a surf team. We liked running, so we started a run club. We liked throwing parties, so we, you know, we incorporated that into our, I guess, brand package as well and also our brand experience for both our, like, customers and our, and our team. Obviously, social media is a big part of your, the way you, you guys do your marketing. What has been your approach to social media and the other channels that you use to expand Fishbowl? We're aware of what the message is that we're trying to get out, whether it's sustainability, quality in the product, the people that we work with. Um, we always try and embody and reflect the values. Another aspect is just um, fun. Like We've got quite a fun um, culture, and that's, I think, another reason why people like Fishbowl. So through the social media channels, we just use that as a gateway. Like the food is essentially the medium just to tell the story. So the strategy is just to always stick to what it is we're trying to tell, what the values are that we believe in, and just make sure whenever we're releasing something, it fits with those values. You guys obviously offer loyalty cards. Yes. What are some of the other growth hacks that you've used to grow your business in addition to loyalty cards? First of all, loyalty cards are, I guess, for us, a bit of an interim solution to establishing a more intricate connection with our customer. We work with a lot of different partners through technology, through our POS, to work on better ways to establish that connection and establish that and espouse that sense of loyalty from customers. And loyalty cards still spoke to who we were as a brand. We had a bit of fun with the actual cards. But in terms of espousing loyalty, once again, it's just about creating authentic relationships. Um, it's not something that we rely on the loyalty card to do, but more on our sort of you know, different sort of channels such as social media, our website, and also just through our stores. 
no card or no program will espouse loyalty. It's more the relationship that you're able to develop with your customer and with the people that you're seeking to serve. And that's something that we're always conscious of. And it just comes back to being really authentic, really genuine, and really trying to convey that across to both, like I said, our team and our customer. They really know that we care. And our goal through having people walk into our stores to buying our products, to experiencing um, us through our social media channels or our website, it's like they need to see that we care. We are in the stores every day. We're talking to the team every day. We're constantly working on the product every single day. We really give a shit, basically. And that's what will, um, I guess, separate us as we move forward. And that's what will see us really grow and espouse those connections that we're after when it comes to our audience. And talking about your audience and loyalty, who are your customers? Our sort of target group and our main group would be, you know, 25 to 35-year-old. Typically, women have always been the first people that caught on to what we were doing. But obviously... You know, we've got stores throughout the city and, you know, the majority of people there are 45, 50 and they're just office workers that love, love the food. Um, and they may have come there for the food first and obviously now as they're returning customers, they've got more of an attachment to the brand and they see the brand for what it is rather than just the product. But it's definitely that younger demographic and, and women that seem to catch on for um, either their partners or people outside of that age demographic. So, for example, when we opened Bondi, we actually found that for the first few months, it was always the girlfriends or the wives that were coming in. Uh, meanwhile, the you know the husbands or the boyfriends would say, "Oh, you know, I'll go next door and, and get a steak." That obviously changed in a matter of time, and it wasn't long before we had you know the roosters and a whole bunch of blokey blokes down there uh, loving fishbowl. We try and target values. We try and target aspirations. It's less limiting than a particular age group. Or locale. If you care about health, come to Fishbowl. If you care about the environment, come to Fishbowl. If you care about sustainability or traceability or provenance, then wear the right product for you. A, because we taste great, but B, because we are conscious of all these other elements. And that is the direction that we see food heading in, whether it's fast food, fine dining, quick service or whatever sort of um, phrase you want to use to describe it. When you're in business these days, it's really important to be value aware you have to know what it is or what aspirations you're trying to meet and then how you can actually establish a meaningful way of conveying those and meeting those requirements that you know you're seeking to meet it's 2019 and you can't really take a a walk through the city any city really without seeing uber eats and delivery drivers what's it like working with this new industry it's a lot of unknown i think we recognized quite early on that food delivery would be a really significant part of like the food industry moving forward. We weren't really sure as to what impact it would have, how it would affect trade, how it would affect people's more typical routine of walking into a store versus sitting at their office and perhaps ordering it in or sitting at home and ordering it in. We stay very close um, to our delivery partners, be it Uber Eats or Deliveroo. We work really closely with them to A, make sure that people are getting the product that we intended to serve them because obviously when you introduce a third party, there is that element of what happens from when we prepare the food to when it's delivered. And that comes with its own issues, but it's definitely something that we've managed to work closely with our partners to improve and just develop more consistencies and also just certain tweaks to the actual product that we've had to make because we know that that food is not being consumed right at the point in which it was completed. Would an example of that being 
uh, you know, putting a sauce on the side or something like that or... Another one would be um, we, we don't actually have any hot bowls on delivery. We sort of keep them as a special in store as a way of, um, you know, enticing people to come into the store and actually get this full store experience as we intended it. And then we just put our, our raw and cold goods on delivery. Yeah, they just hot, travel Hot well. components, when combined with cold components, be it in a salad, don't travel as well. And we, you know, one of our things is if we're going to, uh, we know that delivery is going to be a big part of our market, but how can we... Um, work within that realm without compromising on quality and um, you know, experience. User reviews and the review culture in general has really taken off in the last few years. How does that play into your business? It plays a massive part into the business. Um, it's funny actually because the whole delivery side of things, it can have a negative effect on user reviews, not just for Fishbowl but for anyone in the food industry. Uh, when a customer places an order through Fishbowl or wherever it is, they think that they're ordering from Fishbowl, even though they're doing it through, say, Uber Eats. But they don't realise that it's actually, you know, it's an Uber Eats order and it's an Uber Eats service. We can just do our best to prepare that meal within, you know, 10 minutes, which we always do. But if it takes an hour to get to the customer, that's on Uber Eats. And unfortunately, it, it is kind of on us as well because we're working with them. But it's just a matter of letting the customers know, educating them, of uh, you know what they may do in the future we just have to nut those ones out but you do get reviews or which are often a product of uber eats or delivery service but that's fine you know it's just part of the business and obviously just general reviews you know sometimes there might be a misunderstanding or something that's out of your control and you might get uh, a review that's not as favorable what do you do when that happens like what we do with everything we just be completely straight up honest truthful and we get back to them I think it's a very effective PR and marketing tool as well because you can build genuine relationships with the people, whether they're leaving you know, a negative or a positive review. It's a good opportunity to connect with them and either resolve a problem so that they return or just you know, say thanks. We're about halfway through now. Let's change the pace up a bit and do a quick rapid fire round of questions. If you could sit down and enjoy a fishbowl with one person, uh, dead or alive, who would it be? Michael Jordan. I'm a big basketball fan. But I always loved his mindset, and I would love to pick his brain. He was just exemplifies to me someone who mastered a particular industry, which was you know athletics and sports. But he's completely managed to reinvent himself and adapt, and he's you know dominating the business world now with Jordan Brand. The particular dedication that he's applied to everything that he's done is something that really resonates strongly with me, and that I really admire. So to be able to sit down with him and you know talk about sports and talk about business, I think that would really be a cool thing. He was a very unique individual that did manage to establish a really strong connection with a large audience. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with Fishbowl. And Nick? I've probably already done it. Jack Dorsey. That was a good experience in itself. Jack was a nice one to meet with because we got along with him really well. He felt like it was just a friend. And he also showed that uh, anything is really possible and anything you put your mind to, you can achieve. Uh, okay, so Nick, what is something about Nathan that the average person would be surprised to hear? He's a really friendly guy. <laughs> maybe maybe he might he might come across as you know the the shrewd businessman but if you break through the barrier he's got a lot of time for you okay uh, nathan what about nick well he loves to argue um <laughs> but i think more than arguing he, he always he always brings a alternate perspective to any argument i personally might not always agree with it or i know that it might often be against the grain of what people might feel about the subject that we're debating or discussing and and nick will 
always volunteer to take the, I guess, the, the part of or the role of devil's advocate, which at first, um, you know, did cause a bit of conflict. But I think um, for the long run, it's always it's really refreshing to have that opposing view because it always keeps me on my toes and always sort of challenges our team, especially when it's things that we might not want to hear or that might make us uncomfortable. It's really important to our growth. What is your favorite restaurant besides Fishbowl? Billy Kwong, surely. Yeah, I would say Billy, Billy Kwong. Kwong. Is great. Yeah, I've been visiting Kylie at her restaurant since I was really young. And that was one of the first, I guess, establishments that exposed me to someone who really cared about quality in terms of, you know, how they were sourcing their food, how people were consuming their food, and also just, um, you know, sort of opened my eyes up to the fact that here in Australia, like, we have amazing access to quality produce, be it seafood, you know, more game-style meats such as, you know, kangaroo that and a lot of things that she experiments with um, as well as a lot of native ingredients that she's really been able to um, highlight through our menu and, and constantly showcase over the years that's great that place is amazing uh nick i like Orazio in uh in bondi beach that's a restaurant that was started by the the icebergs group it's just low-key it's a family restaurant it's you know an easy one to just pop in and pop out multiple times a week and they obviously serve really good quality food it's just easy italian and it's got a really nice family you know community vibe in there fishbowl was really inspired by a group of restaurants and establishments like i think nick you know nick mentions Dorazio or um, be it somewhere like icebergs or billy kwong um, or you know long grain apollo we loved visiting them just as customers and what occurred to us was that you know they had a beautiful product but on top of that, they really focused on the experience and they also wanted to give people design and personality and they wanted you to walk in and feel like you were actually, it was an occasion, you know. That's what we loved about restaurants, the way they made you feel. And we sort of looked at the fast food industry and thought, well, how can we bring that to that industry? You know, when you walk into a fishbowl, yeah, it's fast food, you know, it just doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it because you do feel a sense of culture and music and you get all the, the, these other ingredients that you would typically associate with a restaurant and we you know it was a big focus of us to try and bring that into fast food and try and change people's expectations around what to expect when they go out for a quick meal that was something that was a huge focal point from the outset and something that we drew a lot of inspiration from from restaurants that we really loved uh what do you order when you go to fishbowl i designed the menu and so i do love you know every component of it but I find it really important to continue to um, sample everything and try everything and and also just come up with new combinations so I'm always creating my own dish not a bad job to have <laughs> uh, what about you Nick I like to eat the uh, rainbow bowl it's basically just every vegetable that we have and I make sure I get the most out of all the nutrients that we've got to offer great for vegans and what are your top selling items in general Definitely salmon sashimi. That's obviously a popular one. And with that comes the OG. So the OG is our most popular bowl. Um, we've actually introduced a few specials um, not so long ago. Like we've got a braised beef brisket and a miso glazed salmon fillet. And they've been really popular as well. We tend to sell out of them each day. For sure, the OG. If you haven't been, I would definitely recommend the OG with avocado and some chili flakes. Oh, nice. But also, also try the specials because they're always... Yeah evolving we're always bringing in new new items new ingredients what's the process behind selecting a special we sample a lot for starters so whether it's um different lines of seafood or sashimi um the beef brisket that we sourced from rangers valley a lot of trial and error goes into those items obviously uh, but we take a lot of inspiration from japanese food and japanese culture and 
Um, most recently, I had a trip to Japan. And one of the things that you know, we were exposed to over there or that I was exposed to over there was um, the nazu dengaku, which is obviously which is that miso eggplant dish that is quite typical of Japanese restaurants here to have on the menu as well. That's an item that we're currently running as a special through our stores, which is, once again, it's a really nice vegan option. We work with a local miso manufacturer in Tasmania, Meru Miso, who um, ferment soybeans um, and produce miso the way that it was intended, the way that it was done like hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago in, in Japanese culture. Before we uh, started talking, we touched on the idea of uh, the pokey trend and how fishbowl is different to the pokey trend. Warren Turnbull, who is the creator of Cherburger, which is a popular burger restaurant uh, in Sydney, for those listening who maybe don't live in Sydney, uh, he was quoted in Good Food saying that he had kind of cooled on the idea of getting in on the pokey trend because he said, uh, quote, you know, everyone was jumping in. So he was obviously wrong because, you know, you've expanded massively and quite quickly. So there's obviously people really are enjoying it. But what do you say to people who call your cuisine a trend or something similar to pokey? People that thought pokey was a trend or people that thought pokey was this next big thing, I think they were missing the point. Because to us, it was never about this Hawaiian cuisine that people were yearning for or missing out on. It was simply people love Japanese food, Japanese flavors, and sushi. And that's proven in every major city on every high street around the world. Couple that with the fact that people are really into their health and the world is moving in this direction of quick, fast, fresh, healthy, sustainable, and customizable. And simply we just, we combined those two elements together. We took Japanese food and Japanese cuisine and combined them with salads. It was never about giving people something Hawaiian or something that they might not have tried. It was really about giving them flavors that they were already familiar with, but in a new, um, in a new way. Talk us through the business expenses and margins of an eatery uh, like Fishbowl. For example, Curtis Stone recently said in a podcast that his fine dining restaurant costs, you know, were about 30% food, 35 to 40% labor, 15% rent. Do you agree with that? Is that similar for you? Yeah, I mean, from a, from a labor and food cost standpoint, it's definitely similar. Uh, from a rent standpoint, we try and have a, a lower percentage allocated to that, uh, mainly because we're able to take smaller shops. You know, it's a combination of, of really two things, actually. We're commissary-based, so we um, operate out of a central kitchen where we have one chef overseeing the production of all of our goods, um, and then we distribute them through a um, cold, like, it's all cold chain process and distributed every single morning. But that allows us to, A, take smaller spaces, B, spend less on fit-outs. The other thing that we were conscious of, really conscious of when we were starting out was building a brand, being able to separate ourselves and, and give people something that they would walk 50 meters further for or they might you know avoid the food court and take the back road to fishbowl um, and that sort of allowed us to you know to occupy spaces that might not typically have been associated with such high rents that you might find in the more um, prime locations and that was something that we, we found we were able to do by building our brand and that's something that we still do to this day is if we can you know continue to build the brand up and have people um, and have you know create something that does resonate strongly with people then they'll make that extra effort to come and find you. How do you go about choosing a new location? You sort of touched on the fact that being close uh, or in a food court isn't necessarily what you're looking for. So how do you go about choosing? Yeah, look, I always say we use a, a combination of analytics and manalytics. What I mean by that is, you know, we do focus on number of people in the area, demographic, things like average spend. Like, you know, there are sort of, a, 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 there is a metric that we use and we just brought on a, um, a, a head of technology 
um, to sort of oversee a lot of the data that we receive and also just to, to make the most of that component of the food industry and how we can sort of leverage that into new opportunities and, and into growth. But the other end is also what I call manalytics, which is really just you got to go with your gut a little bit. You know, um, when it comes to locations, you've got to know who is it that you're seeking to serve and are they here and are they here now? And that's a really big component of how we choose locations. It also speaks to where we started from, which was um, in Bondi Beach. You know, we had a product that focused on seafood, right? It put seafood on the pedestal and it put health on the pedestal. It put a vibe and music. It put all that on a pedestal. And we thought that's what Bondi is. They are the people that live in Bondi. They also, they're also a really discerning audience. So we knew that it would be a really good testing ground for our first location. Going back to your pricing and expenses, how do you decide on pricing for a dish? In large part, the market dictates the price. Since we've started, we have noticed that the number one, like the most sensitive item um, or the most sensitive component to making a decision about where people are going to eat is price. And that's something that we have always had in mind. You know, we have to have a price that does compete with, uh, you know, Mexicans of the world and the pizza joints and burger joints. It's, it's not too dissimilar to that level of pricing. But what is different is the fact that you're getting a sashimi, A-grade, wild-caught yellowfin tuna. Um, you're getting ASC-certified, sustainably farmed salmon. Um, you're getting really high-quality ingredients that would be associated or that wouldn't um, be out of place on a menu of a, of a fine-dining restaurant, and you're getting that for $12.90. That's something that we've been really conscious of, is, is making sure that we're giving people value. Because if you can focus on giving people real value and real quality, then they will spend that you know, amount extra to, to visit you guys and to consume your product. What are some of the hidden costs that people might not know about when running a food business? Things like packaging. We're largely a takeaway business. So every time, you know, someone is taking away with a bag, chopsticks, napkins, bowls, there's an expense there. It's not just the food. We're trying to use very um, sustainable, like recycled materials. That comes at an extra cost versus if we were using, you know, wasteful um, plastics, non-recyclables, it's probably a lot cheaper. We're not purely doing it for the bottom line. We want to lead by example. We want to use um, more sustainable materials and the extra cost is, is worth it to us. And I suppose worth it to your customers as well. Yeah, exactly. Something that they probably expect as well, yeah. right? It's just through doing these um, things that we believe in that resonate with the customer. It's our values. It's their values. That's what espouses the loyalty. You know, if they see that we care about sustainability, which we do, that espouses loyalty. Were there any surprising lessons that you've both learned along this journey? Surprising? No. We were prepared um, really early on to just be wide-eyed and always learn always be prepared to adapt, always be prepared to change. Since we've started, you know, it's, it's, it's been our mentality and our mindset is that we love what we do. And that's why it's at the point where it's at. But we really see it as really scraping the surface. And um, whilst we love the, the amount of growth that we've been able to achieve and it's been great, we've just got such a long way to go in terms of connecting to more people and, and growing this business and growing awareness around food and food culture and and it's something that we work on every day. You know, every component of our business receives attention every day, especially when things are good. I always say, you know, when things are good, that's when we really got to sort of put our heads down and go, okay, cool. How can we make it better? Let's make ourselves uncomfortable again. Let's challenge what we are already doing. Let's challenge what we think we're doing well. Just continue to sort of drive the product forward because 
you know, the day we sort of sit stagnant is the day we start going backwards. And that's something that we will never do. We'll never find ourselves doing. And we have an amazing team of people that are accountable to each other and that constantly push each other and challenge each other and challenge the product. And that's um, a, a culture that we've been able to ingrain amongst all of us. And it's something that will, you know, hopefully really sort of set us off into the future because we're not trying to build something that's around for five years or 10 years. We're really trying to, you know, make a difference. We're really trying to change people's perceptions around fast food. You know, and you can only do that with um, a really good team, a really strong vision and getting everyone on board with that. And that's sort of our challenge day to day is to make sure that we're communicating those values throughout all of our team and communicating those values to our customers. And it's something that we won't stop doing, so. What's next for Fishbowl? Growth is what's on the horizon for Fishbowl. You know, we're gonna continue to open new stores and continue to tap into communities that we feel uh, we can really connect with and who will really enjoy our product. But beyond that, it's just, it's about continuing to grow the brand and to grow that connection with customers. And we've just brought on, um, like I said, a head of um, technology, you know, and, and we've sort of tasked him with the role of, you know, how can we leverage new technology into establishing stronger connections with our customers? How can we use technology to track calories or food intake or consumption to track these things that people care about? And, and we think that's going to be a form a really big part of our business in our industry moving forward is that ability to use technology to give people more of what they want. Could you give us an example of what technology is installed for the future? Sure. Well, we're in the process um, in the really early stages of developing an app that does connect all these particular dots um, in our business. So it will advise, it will allow people to order ahead. It will allow people to order delivery. It will allow people to track the nutrition of a particular product that they're consuming. We want something that actually provides guidance on diets. We will develop a bit of a body of what people's preferences are and then how can we curate a product that is actually more personalized let's develop a system for the people rather than you know people that fit into a system and it'll be the perfect platform for you know promotions um, run clubs surf comps charity initiatives it's also another avenue just to get these initiatives across to them that they may be of interest to so that they don't you know need to rely on following an instagram or following a, a website um, they've actually just got it all there in one convenient application. It's what we think people care about. We think they care about where their food came from. We think they care about the effect that a particular meal might have on their health. And that's something that we want to be able to give people specifically. You know, we want to be able to give them more information on that and shed more light on some of these elements of the food industry and of the product that they're consuming that they might not otherwise have had the opportunity to be exposed to. Yeah, and transparency seems like it's a massive trend now in food, which we consumers didn't really have access to in the past. And now we're starting to see that, you know, we do want that transparency. Yeah. We want to see where all the food comes from. We want to see the story behind it and why you've made certain choices. So I think that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. We've come to the end of the podcast. So I just want to say thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Nick, for being on the show. Where can people stay up to date with what you're working on? Follow us on um, Instagram at fishbowl underscore sashimi. If you head to our website, which is fishbowlbondi.com.au, you can join our mailing list. Um, and that's a good way to keep up to date with things like our run clubs, charity events, community initiatives, just any fun things that we have going on. That's where you'll find out about it. Or just come into one of our stores and say hi. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. In case you're not yet subscribed, we have new episodes released every other week. 
Leave us a five-star review on Apple and follow us on Instagram at Pocket Money Podcast. And remember, you can find the full show notes for this episode at finder.com.au slash podcast. Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening. Oh, God, I'd love to. I got jiu-jitsu. <laughs>